Welcome to the Common Ground Unity Podcast, where we have great conversations with unity-minded Christians. Our goal is to encourage unity of the Spirit within the Stone Campbell Movement and beyond. We believe unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and join us as we seek to fulfill Jesus' prayer that we may all be one. And now, here are your co-hosts, Megan Rawlings and... Kevin Whitham. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our Common Grounds Unity podcast. We're excited to be back with you today. I'm Kevin Witham, uh, hosting along with my co-host, Megan Rawlings. I'm so excited to be here, Kevin. And today we are doing the part two of the one, the only, the fantastic Dr. Douglas A. Foster. Dr. Foster, how you doing, bud? I'm doing well. I'm trying to stay warm in frigid Texas today. I love that I called you bud and you just didn't even acknowledge it. You're like, yep. (laughs) (laughs) That makes me so happy. Kevin, why don't you kick us off with our first question? Doug, it is so good to have you back. We had such a great conversation uh, last time when we were together uh, discussing uh, not just more than, but we did discuss your book, A Life of Alexander Campbell. And I just want to mention that again. It's a great uh, resource and, and biography recently released on Erdman Publishing. And uh, just want to encourage our audience uh, to pick up a copy of that. Uh, it'll be well worth your time and, and adding to your uh, collection of uh, books on the restoration movement. This one is uh, so well written and just excellent. But we're going to move a little bit in a different direction today um, and talk about another aspect of unity that I know is near and dear to your heart and to all of our hearts, at least it should be. Um, we have a, a website uh, for Common Grounds Unity, and for our listeners on our website, you'll find a number of very well-written essays there. And Doug, recently, or or maybe a little earlier in in this whole process, you you published an essay there um, that was an essay on unity. And so I encourage our listeners to get that, to read it. Uh, In the essay, you referred to a monument uh, with a Union and Confederate soldier shaking hands with President McKinley uh, with the quote, reunited, one country again, and one country forever. Uh, talk to us about why that monument and why that quote is important to you, and how, how does it connect with kind of the issues we're dealing with today? Yeah, well, I was there at that battlefield above Chattanooga. It's called Point Park. It's part of the Chattanooga-Chickamauga battlefield. It's the National Park Service. We were walking around and I saw that monument and it was so striking to me because, um, you know, here is this, this symbol. There's a Confederate soldier and a Union soldier that are shaking hands at the top of it. And I think that a lot of folks would sort of look at that and they would say, great, you know, country was divided and now they're coming back together. But it struck me in a very, very different way especially because for the last few decades, I guess, I have been 
immersed in the study of how issues of race have affected this country and our churches in this, this country. And it just struck me so powerfully when I saw that monument and the, the words that you just quoted that were at the bottom of the monument about uh, one country again, one country forever. Well, it wasn't one country. I mean, it was a white person's country. But those people who had been enslaved for centuries in this country, even though now there was an amendment, the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution that abolished the formal institution of slavery, they were not one with what was seen as the legitimate owners of this country, the legitimate rulers of this country, the people who should be in this country. They were marginalized. They were, and if you know anything about the Jim Crow laws that were passed after Reconstruction, it was basically another form of separation of the races and subordination of the black race because of the, the assumption, the belief, if you want to use the fancy term, the ideology of white supremacy, right? That white people and white civilization is inherently superior to that of all others. And so the assumptions that had to do with the nature of non-white people, I hate to say it that way because it still privileges the term white, persons of color are not as intellectually gifted overall, they're not as capable as white people, etc., etc., etc. And those assumptions were so powerful and continue to be because of the implications of laws and of policies and of systems that were put in place many, many years ago. And so when I was asked, I guess John Teal asked me to write an article for the for the the website, a unity essay for the website for Common Ground Unity, that's the only thing that I could think of. Um, I think that for a long time, and I say this in the essay, I was involved in Christian unity work. I, I mentioned last week some of the things that sort of formed me in my understandings of unity, my understandings of the nature of the gospel and the nature of what it, what it means to be uh, a legitimate Christian, I'm not, I'm not sure if that's the best term, but what, what, what makes it clear that you are a Christian? What certifies you as a Christian? And some of those, those things, and I, and I think I had always sort of assumed, and, I, and the movement for unity in the larger church, as well as in our own Stone Campbell movement, sort of always assumed, well, it's about doctrine and practice, which are not unimportant things, certainly. Belief how we believe, how we understand, how we do our uh, live our lives as Christians, those are important things. But one of the things that I was influenced by, because I am white, was the assumption that everybody experiences everything the same way. Everybody has the same access. And so I never really saw, because I really never had contact with black Christians in any meaningful way, I never really saw that race was one of the chief dividing issues among Christians. You know, I'd always assume that it's whether you, you know, to use an example from our own Stone Campbell heritage, it's whether or not you use instrumental music in worship. 
It's whether or not you take the Lord's Supper every Sunday. It's whether or not you uh, have a certain terminology for your ministers, etc. Those are the things that divide us. And certainly those are differences, both in doctrine and polity, the way we set our churches up. There are lots of things that are different. And I just always assumed those were the things we've got to, to focus on. And we do. Those are things that need to be talked about. But I never thought that race, I never understood how deeply, deeply divided Christians are, the church is, by the issues of race that have so permeated this society in the United States. And I, I'm not saying that we're the only society. I, I get a, a newsletter every week that's an international uh, newsletter on race issues. And so I'm not saying that we're the only people who have some of these assumptions. But I am saying that we in the United States and in our Stone Campbell tradition, particularly as we are trying to, to focus on Christian unity and the Common Grounds Unity efforts, other efforts like the Restoration Forums for many years, the Stone Campbell Dialogue for many years, we've not focused on rights, race, issues of rights. And sometimes even when, when someone would bring it up, it would be minimized. So that's the reason I really felt like I, that's what I wanted to write about. If, if, if we're going to talk about unity, we have, to, we have to give the full range of things that are dividing Christians. And this is one of the most significant and important ones. Dr. Foster, would you tell us just a little bit about maybe the importance of moving beyond the doctrine and practice, like maybe focusing more on uh, the doctrine of reconciliation. What do you think about those things? Yeah, I think that that's a really good way of saying it because when I made the comment that I focused on doctrine and practice, that that betrayed a certain understanding of what doctrine and practice means, right? Because the issue that has separated Christians because of race, the issue of race is, as we might say it, that's just as much a doctrine and practice as anything else, as, as the way that we have elders in our churches or, or other bodies may have other ways of structuring churches and the congregational system versus a, a connectional system, a Presbyterian system, whatever it might be, whatever it might be. These are issues just as much that are related to Christian doctrine and practice, the, the, the issues of race, I mean. And when you use the term reconciliation, yes, um, that is one of the key concepts of, of Christianity. We can't abandon reconciliation as a central, absolutely important piece of the understanding of Christianity. And yet I'm going to say something now that might sound like I don't believe it. There are a lot of white people who talk about racial reconciliation and they don't know what they're talking about. I think a lot of, of white people have this sort of operating understanding of the term reconciliation that means, you know, you've offended me, I've offended you, let's just forgive each other and go on about our business, come back together, go on about our business. And that's not the, that's not the way it is. Hmm. It's not the way it is. Uh, white people... <laughs> As a whole, and I know some people sort of get offended by this. Some white people start pushing back, you know, well, I was just as poor or just as a whatever. And, and, and 
there's lots of things that could be said about that, but white people as a whole are the ones who set the system up, the system that even today continues because of the residual effects of housing laws and lending practices by banks and on and on you can go, even access to Social Security and uh, Federal Housing Authority loans, all of these kinds of things. This was this was something that was an offense by white people against black people, against people of color, particularly black people, because of the slavery situation that had been so seared into the mentality of this nation. And so I really don't think white people who've, who use the term racial reconciliation in an easy way, we just need to be, we, didn't, we just need to work for racial reconciliation. Well, I believe they're right in the sense that that terminology is, is scriptural and true and right, but I don't think they understand the full import of what racial reconciliation means. I think there are two parts to it, at least two parts. Number one, white people are going to have to be informed about the full truth. What happened in this country? Um, I was ignorant. I was ignorant. I just didn't know. I, I knew there was something going on. I knew that I could go to the black church when a famous black preacher named Marshall Keeble would come to our community and he would be preaching. I knew that I could go over there. But when the white church that I was a member of had its gospel meeting, revival meeting, we might say, uh, they were not welcome. The black members were not welcome. And I know that this is, this is in Alabama, but, uh, but that's just one tiny example of the differences of the way white people and the way black people experience, even Christianity. And so I think that the first piece is that white people have got to be, they've got to take advantage of, they've got to pursue understanding the true history of what happened in this country. And I'm sitting right next to a stack of about 50 books, and we've got a bunch more on the shelf behind me, that are examinations of the of the history of race in the United States, the way, all sorts of facets of it. For example, there's a wonderful book called White Too Long by a scholar, a white scholar named Robert Jones. It goes into the just a brilliant, brilliant ex, explanation of how white and black churches, especially how white churches were, were formed and the, the way that they thought and that white supremacist way of understanding the world was so dominant in the way they treated all black people, even brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, I, won't, I won't pick up a bunch of those books, but there, there are some that are very hopeful books, how to fight racism, how to be an anti-racist. So the books are there, but I think we've got to be informed in its rawest sense of what the truth really is. You cannot move past and actually do something of substance without knowing the truth. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to flippantly use that, the truth will make you free terminology, but you've got to have that as the first piece. And quite frankly, the second piece is to bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. Mm. And part of that is repair. Now, there's a term that's often used called reparations, and you can use that term, and I will use that term. It's a perfectly right and true and good term. But it really sends white people into a tizzy. You know, what, what do you mean? We're going to just pay 
uh, uh, black people, uh, you know, give them cash payments? Well, it's, it's much more complex than that. But the fact of the matter is, the systems that have, that have been in existence in this country and continue even to exist, even in ways that are not sometimes as obvious, but still there, have, uh, have got to be repaired. And in the article that I did for Common Grounds Unity, the essay on, on unity and these issues, I say it's not just a matter of black churches and white churches merging. Um, the, the pattern that generally developed was whites would say, okay, if, if black people want to come, they can come now. They can come over and they can be like us. Very few white people ever thought, I will, I will go and I will submit to the leadership of a black congregation. Not very many ever even crossed their mind for that to happen. You can come over and be like us because we have things the way they should be, and, you know, we, the way we like it. And it, so it becomes much more complex than just merging congregations or even allowing, quote, allowing even the terminology to allow people to come means has such import. Uh, so you control things and you're now going to allow them to come over here, quote. Black churches were the refuge. There's a, new, there's a series that's just started on PBS, I think the last couple of nights, it's the history of the black church in America. It is brilliant. It is just really good. I think you should definitely watch it. Um, Henry Louis Gates, Jr. But there has to be repair. There has to be something that goes beyond simply saying, let's love each other. You can come over here and be with us. I'll even come over to your place sometimes. It's got to go beyond that. It's got to be something that is substantial and real. When you look at the fact that the massive disparities in health care and personal worth and home ownership, you can go down the line. Uh, the vast differences between the white population and the population, the black population, and sometimes other persons of color as well, there's something that has been broken for a long time. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I don't normally do this, but if you would like, I, I wrote a, a chapter on how the white church in America created and perpetuates the ideology of white supremacy. And, I, and another article that has to do with reclaiming the term racial reconciliation so that it actually can be a, a scriptural uh, and, and effective term. I, I'll be glad to send you a copy of those articles. I can send them to to any any one of the hosts here and you can send them on or you can send them a request to me at my at my email address fosterd at acu.edu. This is no charge. I'm not selling anything. You <laughs> so, should. Uh, well <laughs> this this is just something that has been so so deeply on my mind for such a long time. And so when you brought that term up about reconciliation it really, really is so important. I mean, it's central to the Christian gospel, the concept of recon rest reconciliation. But we Dr. Foster, I want to ask you a quick question. Okay. You're talking about the black church and the white church, and I've, I've heard so many sermons, um, especially where I am at, at our church, where it's like there shouldn't be a black church or white church. And yes, 
Absolutely, because there needs to be unity. We shouldn't be separated based on skin color. But I do think that we live in reality, and the reality is there is a black church and white church, and there is a different culture in these churches. So what do we do from here to try to unify? Because you're right, it's not just merge together and lose all of your identity from before, because I think it's unique and beautiful and should be celebrated. And it also shouldn't be Let's just take a couple people from this church and put them in this one and this church and that one. So what do we do? How, how do we fix this? Where do we go from here? Yeah, again, I would say, first of all, the white people are going to have to do a lot of work on learning the, 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 the facts of the history and then really grappling with, a, with the idea of repair uh, for, before we can reach the term, place of rec- racial reconciliation. But now you're talking about just practical. What, mm-hmm. do, we, what, what do you do? What do you do? Because the black church is a refuge for many black Christians. And to and to say, oh, we're not going to have a black church and a white church anymore. That basically means we're going to do away with the black church. And we'll just have right. uh, uh, black and white people in the white church. I mean, I hate to say it that way, but, but that's the way a lot of folks just sort of practically comes out. And, and that's not that's not the best way to do it at all. I really think they're practically you're and, and I'm, t- I'm speaking now from experience um a number of years ago one of my closest friends mentors we work together now at acu in the in a center for for race studies and and spiritual action it's called uh jerry taylor we began to to have what we call racial unity leadership summits where we just bring christians together across the board and we sit down with each other and some of the summit meetings are they're more like seminars or workshops and they're people who present and give material some of the material that shows up that shows up in the chapters that I mentioned or the, the articles that I just mentioned that I had written some of that's been part of it and other people have done a lot of just really really brilliant things to help people understand the truth but then there are also racial unity, prayer retreats where we basically spend three days together uh, meditating on a spiritual reading, coming together. Sometimes we're in silence uh, apart from each other, journaling, but then we come together and we listen to one another's stories and we pray together and we really come to a level of hearing each other in a way that goes beyond the superficial. Um, I really think that spiritual formation, experiencing together spiritual disciplines or spiritual experiences like this, and of really and truly, there, there are certain prompts that we use in some of the sessions where people began to tell their story or they read they read aloud some of the things that they've journaled about in response to some of the prompts about their experiences as a black person as a white person as a as a christian as as a person who's trying to do something specifically to break down these terrible barriers that have existed for so long and i'll I'll tell you that is one of the most transforming experiences. And some of the people that have been involved in these have said that it was transforming. There was a, an African-American brother 
who basically just he he had been so I'm not sure what the best term would be. He had tried to to maintain himself, you know, as as this uh, very um, happy and uh, nothing bothered him and he was doing fine. And, and when we began to really talk with each other at the level that's beyond the superficial, at the spiritual level of touching one another's hearts, uh, he began to talk in a way that, I mean, he told me later, it, he, he broke down and cried. He said, I've never said anything like this before, but it's always been there and it's been eating at me. And I couldn't say it because I wanted to be the one that, that white people liked. You know, I wanted, I don't want to jeopardize my good relationship with a white person by saying some of the things that I've experienced and have damaged me so much. If I have a cordial relationship with a white person, I don't want to to jeopardize it because I know if I say some of this stuff, they're just going to say, no, that you, you don't understand. You, you misunderstood that you're being too sensitive. It's not that bad. And I don't want to go through that. He said, but at this level, when we have connected at that spiritual level and we're hearing each other in a deep way, it, it was just a transformative spiritual experience. And, and that person now is one of the, one of the, I would say most effective leaders in bringing people together, uh, of, of helping people to, white and black, to, to, deep, to dig deep into their own hearts and minds and not to put that facade up and not to have that fear. You know, if I say the wrong thing, I'm going to be judged as this or that and, and I can't, I don't really know the right thing to say. But when you get into that context where you love each other and you see, in some sense, the image of Christ or the face of Christ in the other, and you say these things in a way that just is a spiritually transformative context. And for some of the white people who needed to hear that, it was transformative, too, because they thought, oh, there's no real problem here, right? Uh, I know this guy, and we've had a, a lot of good times together, and he's never said anything about you know, feeling this way. So I think that that kind of spiritual formation, that spiritual, those spiritual exercises, and really listening to each other is so crucial to begin, on top of the other two things that I've already said, learning the truth, read the books, white people. <laughs> uh, the, the stuff is there. This is not hidden. It's not like you have to dig somewhere. The, the material has been there all along. and We just thought, well... I don't need to look at any of that stuff. It's not important or, or you just never thought about it. Things are not that bad, right? Things are better now than they used to be in slave days. And so there's no problem. Well, it's just not true. And as spiritual people who want to follow God, who want to do what's right, we've got to do those kinds of things and to repair in everything that's within our power to do uh, that has kept those things broken. So I would Boy, say, Doug, that is... That, that is so much at the heart of the gospel. We often stress and put the emphasis on us being reconciled to God, and yet so much of the New Testament is about the other part of that, God reconciling us to one another, and that this estrangement uh, that exists among people groups is not God's intent, and what he's accomplishing in the gospel of the kingdom is making us back into one humanity uh, that loves one another and loves him. And 
just reconciliation. You've, you've used that word uh, several times. It, the, the reconciliation of us to one another uh, is so much at the heart of the gospel. And when we talk about unity, to leave that out, we miss uh, such a stress uh, that, that is there in, in the New Testament writings and what the church ought to be. Boy, you have challenged us. Uh, you've given us some practical ways to to move forward and to take good steps forward, and we're so grateful. Um, we've got to have you back for more conversations. Um, I've got one last question, and then Megan's got a question to kind of close us out uh, today, a question we ask all of our guests, and I'll let her do that. But it, we've been talking about the Stone Campbell movement. Um, what is it that keeps you in it, and what are your hopes for it um, in the future? Love to just hear a brief couple of comments about that. Sure. Um, what keeps me in this tradition is that I have seen Christ in this tradition. Do I, mm. do I think that it's a perfect tradition? No. <laughs> I, I, I taught restoration history and teach restoration history, and I, I'll never forget a student coming up to me at the end of the year of the semester, I guess, one of those classes, the student was in there because it was a required course for, for religion Bible majors, and they weren't all that happy, I don't think, to be in there to begin with. But at the end of the course, they came up and said, uh, because of this class, I've decided to stay in the Stone Campbell movement. And it was not because I'd convinced him that this was the only group of people who were trying to do what was right and who were following God or that were going to be saved. It was because he said for the first time, I could see even some of the things that I disagree with and, and think people got really wrong. I can see that they were not doing this out of just pure evil motives. I can understand why they did it sometimes, even though I don't think it's right. But I have also seen Christ in this movement. And I think that that's what keeps me here. This is a place where God has worked and where God will continue to work. And I have seen it in the people in my congregation growing up who, who loved me and cared for me and my family and cared for their neighbors. And I've seen it uh, in students and, and really around the world as I've gone to places uh, to teach and to be with churches from our tradition and, and in other traditions, but especially I've seen it so, so many ways. And that's the reason I stay. Love it. Hey, one of the things we say here is that unity starts with a cup of coffee. And, you know, we're all about unity. You're all about unity. So, Dr. Foster, are you ready for the most important question of this podcast? I hope so. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> How do you take your coffee? Oh, I take it decaf <laughs> and black. Strong decaf <laughs> My husband does that in the evenings. You guys must, you know, that must be like a thing for scholars. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today, Dr. Foster. We've really enjoyed having you. Kevin, do you have anything to say to the good people? Just, Doug, so great to have you. We hope you'll join us again uh, sometime soon on Common Ground Unity. We've got so much more we'd love to talk about with you. But thank you for your time over these last two podcasts Thanks and so for being with us. Absolutely. Uh, folks, we hope you'll join us for our next podcast. Be back next week and we'll have some fresh things to talk about. 
thank you for listening to the Common Grounds Unity podcast with Megan and Kevin. Please check out commongroundsunity.org to learn more about who we are. There are plenty of resources, and you can subscribe to the weekly email articles, join the Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. We've also provided a link in the show notes for comments. You can ask questions or suggest topics and guests. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can do that too through the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless. And remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.